Do you think that you are better at driving than the average? What about your level of intelligence? Or what about your happiness level? All of your answers to these questions may very well be wrong. But why would that be the case? This question and many others will be answered in this episode of the Cultivate Greatness Radio Hour. This week's topic, the overconfidence effect. episode of the Cultivate Greatness Radio Hour, where you can gain a better understanding of the inner workings of human decision-making by learning about different concepts from the realms of behavioral economics and business psychology. Today, in the second episode of this podcast, it is time to examine yet another cognitive bias. This time, we will talk about the overconfidence effect, what it entails, how it can affect performance and decision-making, and just like last week, we will finish up with how it can be dealt with. Are you ready? Let's get started. First things first, let us find a definition for the overconfidence effect. The overconfidence effect is a well-established bias in which a person's subjective confidence in his or her judgments is reliably greater than the objective accuracy of those judgments, especially when confidence is relatively high. Overconfidence is one example of a miscalibration of subjective probabilities. Throughout the research literature, overconfidence has been defined in three distinct ways. First, overestimation of one's performance. Second, overplacement of one's performance relative to others. And the third, overprecision in expressing unwarranted certainty in the accuracy of one's beliefs. Sounds confusing? It should not be. In simpler terms, it means that when people are asked to give their ev evaluation of their skill, sounds confusing? It should not be. In simple terms, it means that when people are asked to give an evaluation of their skill, they think that they will perform better than they do. If human confidence had perfect calibration, judgments with 100% confidence would be correct 100% of the time, 90% confidence correct 90% of the time, and so on for other levels of confidence. All of this has been studied well. In a paper from 1995, DeBond and Taylor pointed out Perhaps the most robust finding in the psychology of judgment is that people are overconfident. And this does not only hold in one particular setting. Most of us believe we are better performers, more honest and intelligent, have a better future, have a happier marriage, are less vulnerable than the average person, etc. But we can't all be better than the average. For example, in a spelling task, subjects were correct about 80% of the time, whereas they claim to be 100% certain. Put another way, the error rate was 20% when subjects expected it to be 0%. In a series where subjects made true or false responses to general knowledge statements, they were overconfident at all levels. When they were 100% certain of their answer to a question, they were wrong 20% of the time. Furthermore, people believe that they are more ethical than their competitors, co-workers and peers. For example, a recent study showed that 50% of business people polled believed that they were in the top 10% ethically. Studies show that the overconfidence bias causes people to overestimate how much and how often they will donate money or volunteer their time to charities. So, overconfidence in our moral character can cause us to act without proper reflection, and that is when we are most likely to act unethically. This inherent base rate of overconfidence is especially strong when projecting our beliefs about our future. 
Overoptimism is a form of overconfidence. We tend to overestimate our ability to predict the future. People tend to put a higher probability on desired events than undesired events. The so-called planning fallacy is another example of overconfidence where people underestimate the length of time it would take them to complete a task, often ignoring experience. When people are asked to give an estimation on how long they will need to complete a certain task or how long it will take them to get to a certain place, they give virtually the same estimate when asked for the best case scenario as well as when asked for an average scenario. This is of special importance in dealing with the financial markets. Understanding where the markets are going is considered one of the most important skills in finance and investing. In this industry, most market analysts consider themselves to be above average in analytical skills. However, it is a statistical impossibility for most analysts to be above the average analysts. 300 professional fund managers were surveyed and asked if they believed themselves to be above average in their ability. 74% of fund managers responded in the affirmative, and of the remaining 26%, most thought they were average. In short, virtually no one thought they were below average. Again, these figures represent a statistical impossibility. It's fascinating to see how common it is to hear fund managers state something like, I know everyone thinks they are above average, but I really am. The danger of an overconfidence bias is that it makes one prone to making mistakes and investing. Overconfidence tends to make us less than appropriately cautious in our investment decisions. Many of these mistakes stem from an illusion of knowledge and or an illusion of control. So, among investors, overconfidence has been associated with excessive risk-taking, concentrated portfolios and overtrading. It is now time for a quick break, but when we come back, we will talk about how the overconfidence effect can be restrained. Stay tuned. If you like what you have been hearing so far and you want to help this podcast reach more people, it would mean a lot if you were able to leave a rating on iTunes. Additionally, if you are interested in learning more about fundamental concepts of behavioral economics and how you can use them to make better decisions in your own life going forward, consider following us on Instagram at Cultivate Greatness. Welcome back to the second episode of the Cultural Greatness Radio Hour, where, before the break, we talked about definitions and examples of the overconfidence effect. Now it is on to talking about how to deal with this phenomenon. As mentioned before already, when dealing with investing and financial markets, overconfidence is of very special importance. That is why careful risk management is critical to successful investing. Being mistakenly overconfident in our investment decisions interferes with our ability to practice good risk management. The overconfidence bias often leads us to view our investment decisions as less risky than they are. Ray Dalio, the founder of the world's largest hedge fund, Bridgewater & Associates, has commented many times that being overconfident can lead to disastrous results. In an interview with Forbes, he attributed a significant amount of his success to avoiding any overconfidence bias. Dalio states that he makes it a point to stay keenly aware of the possibility of his assessments being incorrect. I knew that no matter how confident I was in making any single bet, that I could still be wrong. 
With that mindset, he always strives to consider worst-case scenarios and take appropriate steps to minimize his risk of loss. This is especially interesting because these statements regarding analytical ability are coming from someone who, by all accounts, is one of the people who might be well justified in thinking that they might be above average at investing. So the fear of being wrong is very important because it keeps someone in check. Another way, or maybe a similar way, just coming at it from another angle, of dealing with this problem is by explicitly not making perfect forecasts a goal. The goal should be self-awareness. Here we can, just as in the first episode and definitely also in later episodes, turn to Daniel Kahneman. In one of his books, Thinking Fast and Slow, he writes about professors from Duke conducting a survey in which the chief financial officers of large corporations estimated the results of the S&P index over the following year. The conclusion was straightforward. Financial officers of large corporations had no clue about the short-term future of the stock market. The correlation between their estimates and the true value was slightly less than zero. When they said the market would go down, it was slightly more likely than not that it would go up. The truly bad news is that the CFOs did not appear to know that their forecasts were worthless. You don't have to be right. You just have to know that you are not very likely to be right, and this will help you make better decisions. Charlie Munger, vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway, once said, One standard antidote to foolish optimism is trained habitual use of the simple probability math of Fermat and Pascal, taught in my youth to high school sophomores. So the discipline to apply simple math can go a long way in helping investors and people in general make better decisions as well. Lastly, we return to Kahneman who talked about the problematic use of overconfidence in a whole other sector in life, medicine, which might be the most surprising and dangerous place to have to deal with overconfidence. He wrote, Generally, it is considered a weakness and a sign of vulnerability for clinicians to appear unsure. Confidence is valued over uncertainty and there is a prevailing censure against disclosing uncertainty to patients. An unbiased appreciation of uncertainty is a cornerstone of rationality, but that is not what people and organizations want. Extreme uncertainty is paralyzing under dangerous circumstances and the admission that one is merely guessing is especially unacceptable when the stakes are high. Acting on pretended knowledge is often the preferred solution because experts who acknowledge the full extent of their ignorance may expect to be replaced by more confident competitors who are better able to gain the trust of the clients. In his opinion, social pressure on doctors and medics might be one of the more pervasive reinforcers of the overconfidence effect. This is something that we were able to see during and especially at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. It is in the nature of a scientist to not talk in absolutes when dealing with anything really. But society always finds itself drawn to absolute statements, although they might be less accurate. That is why it is important to structure environments that allow for uncertainty or the system will reward the most overconfident, not the most rational of the decision makers. And that's it for this episode of the Cultivate Greatness Radio Hour Learners. As this show is still relatively new and will continue to be experimental, I would appreciate any kind of feedback on its contents. So please let me know what you liked, what you didn't like, what you would be interested in hearing about anything you have to say about the show. It's easiest to reach me on Instagram, either darts94x, that's D-A-R-T-S-9-4-X, or Cultivate Greatness are fine. The URLs to everything can be found in the show notes of this episode. Thank you as always for tuning in and listening to the latest episode of the Cultivate Greatness Radio Hour. 
Be sure to check out previous and upcoming episodes via your podcast app of choice or at anchor.fm slash cgrh where all episodes of the podcast can be found. Thanks again and I will catch you guys next week.